this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he is Robin Brownlee, and the other guy is from Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet, covers the Flames, covers the entire National Hockey League, is Kelly Rudy. How you doing, Kelly? I'm doing well. Uh, Bryn and Robin, how are you guys? We're doing great. It's a pleasure to have you on with us today, as it always is. However, let's start, I want to say kind of sadly, however, we all had this opportunity to meet this guy named Mike Bossy at some point. <laughs> He was a teammate of yours. We've lost him. And uh, all I could think of was positive, great stories. What about you, Kel? Yeah, same. I, uh, you know, um, I go back to uh, 1980 when I was first drafted. So long, long ago, right? And so mm -hmm. it was a real honor to uh, not only get drafted uh, by that organization, but to get to meet those uh, incredible people. And uh, I think of my first ever road trip with the Islanders as again, back in 80, uh, we're going to Chicago for the first preseason game of the year and uh, we're flying uh, commercially. And of course, uh, this was no accident by the organization. They put me in a middle seat and to my left is Brian Trotche and to my right is Mike Bossy. And what an experience, right? To, you know, I was very, very shy. I doubt that I would have asked them any questions, but I certainly would have answered if they would have uh, asked me questions. Of course they did. Um, but I just thought of, uh, I think of Mike and, you know, Mike, I think when he was drafted, he was quite a slender guy, but at this point he had put on a lot of, uh, muscle and he was ripped. Like most people think of you, you look at Mike Bossy on the ice and you think, uh, there's a, a pretty lean guy. Uh, well, he was lean in terms of, you know, no body fat, but he was 205 pounds of pure muscle. And I, I remember he had a golf shirt on. This is an odd thing to think about, but I just kept looking over at his arms because they were enormous. And, and then it made sense to me why uh, he had that shot. Like the league had never seen a person like Mike Bossy before with that release and, and that sort of uh, um, maybe I'm stretching here, dedication to scoring. Like there had been great scorers before. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But Mike, took an appreciation uh, towards scoring that I had never seen anyways. Uh, he took it personally. If, if we played a game win or lose and he didn't score, Mike was not happy. And, and that's sort of the pressure he put on himself because he was such a great pro. He, he knew why he was drafted into the league and by the Islanders. And he knew his importance uh, in the organization. And that was to be a great scorer. And so it was kind of cool for me to learn from, from Mike because he was the ultimate professional as well. And I, I said it on Saturday, uh, you know, when, when he walked in down the hallway towards the dressing room, he had a presence, you know, none of us could fake that presence, right? He, he had it just naturally. And, and then I remember him getting into his uh, going to walking towards his stall and getting into his uh, gear 
And he had an aura about him that, again, you can't fake. He just, he had a belief in himself and it was uh, amazing to be around. And yeah, we're going to miss him dearly. Yeah. Kelly, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've mentioned this a time or two before the New York Islanders were the last team that I cheered for before I got into journalism where you're not supposed to cheer for anybody because they drafted Lauren Henning, who was the captain of the new Westminster Bruins who gave me a puck one time at practice. And that was good enough for me. And then when they went after all those Western hockey league guys with Gord Lane and Clark Gillies and all up, you know, down the roster, Hey, that's my team. Now, it took a long time before they were any good, and then they won the Cups, and then you came at the tail end of that and just missed that last Cup. But I always looked at guys like Troche and Gillies and Bossy, who I sort of idolized, and I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could meet some of those guys one day? Well, by the time I got into the business, they were retired. They were gone, the, uh, the old Islanders. Yep. You were, you're sort of, you were the in-between. You yep. were, you came with some of the guys who won the Cups and you played quite a while after. Tell us something about Mike Bossy uh, and his place in that team that not everybody knows, that you as a teammate understood, whether it was him as a friend, him as a teammate, the camaraderie that it took to stick together uh, as a hockey club. Uh, we know what the stats are, but I don't really know Mike Bossy. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to sort of group everybody uh, together, which is kind of unfair because when you you mention that team, Robin, you look, there are so many uh, different individuals, and I think that is one of the reasons why that team had success. They drafted yeah. – people that had different personalities and there were strong personalities and they somehow came together uh, in a perfect way uh, for all those championships. But Mike uh, stood out and you guys as journalists know this. uh, uh, He was a complex person. He wasn't just a hockey player that uh, came to the rink and put his gear on and performed on the ice. He, he took a stance in many important topics. And, and if you didn't know Mike, you might take offense to it. Uh, I know back in, was it 1979 when I wasn't there yet, of course, but uh, I remembered it still that he took a stance against fighting. He was not going to fight and he didn't like that. And he didn't like the other things that go on in, uh, in the game of hockey, the, you know, the spearing and the, all these sorts of things, the uh, bench clearing brawls. He, he took a stance and he took a lot of criticism, as you can imagine, in 1979. And yet he he stood his ground. Uh, I remember, again, I was uh, going through clips on uh, Friday uh, when I heard of his passing. And I, I saw a clip with he getting the Conn Smythe Trophy in 81 uh, and getting presented the Conn Smythe by John Ziegler, the then president of the National Hockey League, and Steve Armitage from CBC. And during the interview, <clears throat> near the end of it, <clears throat> excuse me, he said something about he kind of thought he should have won it the year before. And, and that's Mike. You had to understand him because that, that is the belief he had in himself. And, and there are many other topics that <clears throat> you, if you were going to 
pose a, a question to Mike that maybe had something to do with hockey or outside of hockey, you better be ready for a response that uh, you might not get from somebody else because uh, he didn't just think about the game of hockey, he thought about a lot of other things. And so <clears throat> that's kind of the thing that I remember a lot about Mike. He, he stood out from my teammates uh, in a really great way. Um, and I, I personally kind of think I maybe gathered a little bit of strength from Mike, knowing that I could sort of speak my sort of truth also and know that, uh, you know, in this, this world, uh, we can sort of, we can be okay with that and people will be okay with it as long as you have some good points. And Mike always did. So that's what I think. I, I also think my first year, I was, a, I was the only rookie in 83 out of training camp to make the team. Now we've added Pat LaFontaine and, uh, uh, Pat Flatley and Gordon Deneen later in the year, but uh, I was the only rookie. And so it's a lonely life, right? I'm staying at the hotel for the first uh, two or three months. And, and Mike uh, and his wife, Lucy were the uh, first veterans to invite me over to their <clears throat> place for dinner. And so I got to know them on a different level as well and got to see, I think they only had one daughter at the time, but just to see uh, <clears throat> a true superstar of the game, true superstar, a superstar of sports, uh, how he lived his life. And it was uh, pretty fascinating to know. He was, uh, yeah, he was a, a, a different guy. And I'm glad to say he was different. The uh, the one thing I've always wondered is, we always saw what a great shot he had against the opposition. You had to face it in practice. And you get a chance to watch guys like that. And yeah. what a skill set and what an art form it is. Do What do you remember about him in practice? Uh, I had never seen anything like it. I remember uh, early on in my uh, first training camp, he came across the blue line and uh, I'm kind of ashamed to say, but <laughs> he took a slapper just inside the blue line. And like I said, my eyes had never seen anything like this and he whipped it by me. No problem. And I, I do remember this though. It was at Cantiac park where we used to practice uh, and because it was early in training camp uh, and people were fans were allowed in, there might've been about 2000 people in the building. It was a small building. So it was full. Uh, and there was a gasp in the uh, audience. And, and I truly remember that there was like a, Oh, like, do you, did you just see that? And, and I guess I didn't because I let it in, but uh, I had never seen a shot like that. Um, and so it was something to get to, uh, a little bit used to. I wouldn't say I ever really truly got used to it. But the one thing that I did learn is that you had to be ready earlier than everybody else when he had the puck on his stick because he had that quick release. Well, there were two guys, and and Denny Potvin also had that rolling wrist shot too that they would catch you, catch you a goaltender right off guard. So true, Bryn. But Denny's was different because there was a there was a, a wind-up to it. There was, a, as you mentioned, a, that rolling wrist shot. Yeah, how he got his whole body into it. So there was a, a procedure to that shot, which, you know, it wasn't long, but maybe it would last a second or a second and a half, whereas Mike had the, the quick hands, uh, quick release, again, because of that strong upper body. Um, and so that was maybe something you were unprepared for. Also, Mike had this... Uh, unique ability to disguise the shot maybe more so than anybody else. And, and I say in today's game, that's the number one reason why guys like uh, Austin Matthews and others uh, and dry and others have such a great to shot because they're so good at disguising that release. And Mike would do a couple of things. Uh, he would either have uh, 
the blade of the stick cupped over the puck and at the very last second opened the blade. And then at that point, he's able to go uh, to the top corners of the net. If you remember the overtime goal in game one in the 81 Stanley Cup finals versus Vancouver, he intercepted that pass by Harold Snaps and then uh, buried that shot behind uh, King Richard Brodeur. Uh, and that was just, that was classic bossy. So right at the very last second, he opens the blade and goes top shelf high on the glove side on Brodeur um, and Brodeur barely moved. I mean, that was, that was Mike. And also what he would do uh, to counterbalance that shot, uh, he would cup the blade or excuse me, he had the blade wide open. So you're expecting a high shot. And then he had cupped the puck, uh, the blade uh, over the puck at the very split last split second. And what, what do you remember most about Mike? Where did he score a lot of his goals? Five hole, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what he would do beautifully is uh, fake that shot that he's going high top shelf and then cup that blade. And all of a sudden it goes five hole and you have no idea what just happened. <laughs> so Kelly, were you, uh, were you staying out at the long Island Marriott as a rookie? Is that where you were stuck? Of course. And then you got it. Do the walk. Yeah. You and I, you, the three of us know that oh, walk yeah. very, very well. And, and in particular on a cold winter day, that wind would blow and there's no, no protection from it. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, so sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Robin. Yeah. I was asking cause at that point, Mike and the Islanders had won four cups. Mm-hmm. He was an established star. Uh, and he says, roundabout, yeah, you can come and stay with us. Um, what did that tell you about him? Well, I didn't stay. I went and had dinner, Robin. So, but but it, the gesture itself was the same to me. Yeah. And it did tell me a lot because of, uh, you know, when you – I don't know why, but when we're young, we think of these people as uh, not like us, right? And and that we have no similarities. And so uh, <clears throat> for him to come and privately uh, take me aside and say, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? Uh, if you don't have any plans, would I'd like you to come join Lucy and I for dinner at our house. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Hey, uh, yeah. we, we didn't have a chance also to mention we lost Clark Gillies this year too, or this, uh, you know, inside the last 12 months. And that line, uh, you know, everybody talks about bossy and they talk about Trotchy, but if Clark's not digging that puck out of those corners for those guys, that you want to yeah. talk about an ultimate line. Uh, the, the big guy from Moose Jaw was pretty fantastic as well. Yeah, On we and got, off the ice. Yeah, he was, uh, he was the funniest guy I've ever met, I think. He and Barry Beck. Um, <laughs> we've had a tough goal, but we also lost Randy Boyd from the 80s and uh, Jean Potman. Yes. So four guys... In the last uh, three months so it's been devastating <clears throat> but clark was a, a guy that had a uh, a big big personality uh, he was uh funny i mean one of the <clears throat> uh, bob Bourne used to have a fantasy camp out in uh Kelowna, and i just remember one of my favorite times or one of my favorite things about going to the camp for a few years was just running into clark and clark always you know he always had jokes right he just that was his personality, not to suggest he, he didn't have his uh, serious side. And because I don't want to diminish who Clark was either with, you know, who he was as a person. But uh, he was the guy that uh, kept everybody in line. As you mentioned, he was the guy that went and dug the puck out of the corner and uh, and put it to uh, Mike or to, to Brian. Um, and there was uh, at that point, no better line in the game of hockey, uh, just flat out. There was no better line. 
they all did different things. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was uh, also hard on Saturday seeing the pregame show. Uh, Ron McLean interviewed Brian Trotchy because you could see how hurt Brian was. Yeah. It was it was such a special group. Um, I think I think back to Gillies and for all the things he did, one thing that just jumps to my mind, maybe because it was like watching King Kong and Godzilla was Terry O'Reilly and yeah. <laughs> Gillies yeah. fighting. Clark was such a skilled player and had some subtlety to his game. He had nice hands. He could yeah. I mean, he was a smart guy for a big, strong, tough guy who you just if you if you didn't want to have a problem that night, you were probably better off to let him let him sleep, as the saying goes, right? One hundred percent. I don't think that was in Clark's nature. I don't think he wanted to do that. He just recognized, uh, you know, the size of, that he was. He was a big, big man. I think Clark would have been about six four and two hundred and twenty pounds, two twenty five, and. Uh, and so he he recognized also how tough he was, right? He had enough fights uh, in his history to know how tough he was. And so everybody will tell you that he turned that series around with the Boston Bruins with the fights against Terry O'Reilly. Yeah. Of whom, by the way, he was one of the toughest guys in the history of the game, also O'Reilly. Uh, but I, I also think of going back to that hockey fantasy camp in uh, Kelowna that Bob Bourne had. And knowing uh, the fights that uh, Clark had with Dave Semenko and the friendship that they had. I, I didn't know that uh, when I first went to the camp, this would have been, I don't know, ballpark, I'm guessing around 2009. And to see the friendship that those two had after all those battles. And it was really cool and heartwarming to see those two were were buddies uh, through and through and, and the laughter that they shared and by extension, all of us that were able to to see that and experience that uh, friendship. So, yeah, uh, just fond, fond memories. Thanks for sharing all that stuff. Let's start talking about where we're at now because the playoffs are very, very near. We still are waiting for the West to kind of solidify mm. a little bit, but let's talk about the two Alberta teams. Calgary Flames have had a great season. Uh, Johnny Goudreau, unbelievable. Let, let's, yeah. uh, let's talk about the Flames first. You get a chance to see them a lot, and you're on the broadcast crew, you know, between you and Cassie, that kind of thing. Did you see this kind of season coming at all? Uh, I did, and I am on record months ago saying that this is the team that I did expect. Um, uh, I don't think they're exceeding expectations. I, I think, in fact, uh, if I'm really being honest, they had fallen short in previous years for the team that they had. Now they've added a few pieces, of course, which has helped. Right. But uh, I thought that, and now maybe it was because of the pandemic. I don't know. And I, I do put a lot of credence in the effect that the pandemic had on teams and people individually. But I thought that they had fallen short. And uh, uh, now that uh, they sort of recognize how good they can be, and they have higher expectations of themselves, you're seeing what they can be. Now, they've added some players, uh, for sure, that have made a difference. But, you know, I, I look at the season, you mentioned Johnny, but look at the season Matthew's going to have, and he's he's going to break the 100-point barrier as well, which is uh, no small feat to have two, two players do that. But you guys have that with the Oilers. Uh, and so... I just think this Calgary team, I don't know how far they're going to go. They may go as as far as the finals. They may lose in the first round because West, well, 
the parody around the league is just incredible. But but I still think this is the foundation they have now uh, is one that will last for a few years anyways. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but you know the position better than we do. Uh, they're getting the kind of goaltending this year that they didn't get last year. Same guy. Uh, people expected it maybe right out of the blocks. It didn't happen last year. They're getting it from him this year. They are, and he's made one huge uh, change, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm not going to get the technical part of it because I think, uh, you know, you just look at that and that gets a little bit boring to talk about. But yep. his feet are a little bit quieter, but that's that's just one little thing. But I think that uh, with Markstrom, by the way, he did get off to a great start last year. And then he had that collision with uh, Tanner Pearson in that game versus Vancouver. And then and then when he did come back, he struggled mightily and he could never find his game again. Yeah. And it, it looked to me like that was wearing on him mentally. But this year, what he's done uh, and how he's able been able to transition. And this is hard. I can speak to this. Um, <clears throat> when you go from a team like Vancouver, where you're getting a lot of shots, I want to say he averaged ballpark around 36 shots a game with the Canucks. And now you, you come to an organization when I'm going to say, I think he averages uh, in large stretches anyways, around 24, 25 shots. That is a big difference mentally. And it is very, very hard to make that transition to go from where you're, you're getting a lot of work to you have a lot of time where you're not facing any difficult shots and to stay into it, stay in it mentally is hard to do. So that is the biggest thing, biggest thing that he has uh, uh, developed in his game. Uh, because it's really hard. I know that. I, I know I, I went the other way where it was actually easier. I went from a team where with the Islanders where we didn't give up a lot to the LA Kings where we gave up a ton, it seemed, every game, right? Yeah. And so focus-wise, it was easier uh, for me. And then I went to another team, San Jose, where we didn't give up a lot, in, in particular our last year. And so, again, mentally it was a challenge to try and get into that groove. Do you cringe when you hear people always talk about how goaltenders have got to turn it on like a light switch at this time of year? Because you've, you've come on with us and you've talked about how it's a, a battle all through the entire season trying to yeah. get your confidence level going, and you just can't turn it on in March, right? You cannot do that. You you hope that you're building towards something, but it's and you recognize the importance of every game uh, around the beginning of March, but hey, listen, it just doesn't happen that way. And, uh, you know, uh, I know for a fact that uh, for me, it was a grind every single day. And and not only every single day, and people used to ask me during, uh, you know, after a game where I played well, when did you know you were in a groove or, or you know, whatever that term was? Uh, and I'd say, probably with about 30 seconds with a 5-1 lead because <laughs> you, you never know how quickly it can turn right like seriously yeah. I, I and you guys covered the sport you know there are games where you you have like a 3-1 lead in the second period things look really really comfortable and all of a sudden you go into the second intermission you're down 4-3 and you ultimately lose 5-3 and you sit in your stall after the game and you go what just happened I have no idea what just happened. We're 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 playing really really well. I feel great. All of a sudden, I, I give up three quick ones late in the second. We lose the game, and I have no idea how that just happened. Kelly, look up the highway a little bit here at the at the Oilers. Um, we all know, and I assume have a a 
boatload of respect for uh, Dave Tippett as a coach. Sure. Yet he's been replaced here. It's part of the business. And Jay Woodcroft comes in, who's had some great mentors as an assistant coach on his way here. This team is night and day uh, what they were. Five on five, they're so much better. This looks like a team that if Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen can play like they've been playing, they can go a ways. What do you, do you see any difference when you look at this team and, uh, or is, is, is it the players and Woodcroft has just come into a good situation here where they were bound to get better? I don't know. I, I think you're right, Robin. I think they're bound to get better. I think that when at the end of Dave Tippett's time, by the way, I have the same admiration and respect for Tippett that you have Robin, but uh, if I'm an outsider, right? I don't know. And I haven't talked to anybody in the organization about what went wrong with uh, Dave Tippett at the end, but from as an outsider and a guy that's been around the game a long time, it appeared to me that Tippett became frustrated. And that frustration showed a lot in his press conferences, his body language. And I think by extension, the team became frustrated with themselves and the whole experience and coming to the rink wasn't as, as enjoyable as it should have been. And, and it is a classic case, just they needed a different voice. And I hate to say it because that always seems like such a cliche, but I could see it happening. I, I mean, if I were to really drill down to what I thought happened, that it was that game in Madison Square Gardens where Costigan gave up that goal early where he mishandled the puck and uh, Dave Tippett uh, in his press conference post game pointed out to that mistake. And he showed a lot of frustration. And to me, that was, that was the uh, point in which, you know, if it, if it didn't turn, it was not going to go well because there was just frustration throughout the organization that night. And, and uh, Koskinen fought back, which he should have, and he did in that Finnish newspaper. Yeah. And uh, word got back to Canada and North America. And uh, it was a point which was I didn't think they could return from. And so they made the, the change, and Woodcroft was just a different voice. And he, he by the way, to me, uh, I, I love listening to his uh, press conferences and also his media availability the day of a game because he's what – I think the league needs uh, in that position, people that are uh, willing to share their thoughts and not give uh, two word answers or because that, that, that gets old to me. And I don't think that's promoting our game. And so Woodcroft is just a, a great voice for that team. And, and by, you know, having said that he does a lot of great things, coaching wise, style wise, that has really improved that team. There was a lot of talk when Evander Kane came on board here and people were wondering what's this going to do to the dynamic of the hockey club, but it just seems like he's fit in so well. And and I think that says a lot about the leadership group here, actually, and how yeah. they brought him on board. And actually, it looks to me like he's become part of the leadership group here. And, and that's a positive, but you're down the highway. How do you see it from a little bit of distance? Oh, yeah, he's been a great addition. Nobody would ever question whether he could play. I mean... Right. You've, you've watched him for years and years and years. And when Evander Kane is engaged and when he's focused, he's uh, one of the best at what he does, right? He's a unique player. He's got a great skill set, but he's also got, got that edge to his game. And he makes everybody on the other team alert when he's on the ice. So, yeah, he has definitely fit in nicely. 
Uh, now, moving down the road, that would be a question for me because, you know, this is a short-term solution yeah. and and he knows that he has to perform to get another contract, right? So I think for me, that's the challenge. I had no issue uh, believing that he was going to be a, a part of this solution because he's an excellent player, as I said. But what happens if you give him a three or four year contract and, you know, he turns into the player that sometimes he can also be, which is a guy that gets a little bit complacent. Taking a look at the two Florida teams, because a lot of people are now trying to figure out who's, who's the odds on favor to win it all. Tampa, of course, the defending champs. Their netminder's looking to me a little tired. Are you starting to sense that from Vasilevsky? I'm a little bit worried about Tampa. Yeah. Uh, if I had uh, a team that, you know, of course they're fantastic, uh, not taking away anything of what they've accomplished this year or the previous two seasons, but I believe they have 11 losses now in their last 20 games. Um, two of them were have been overtime, I think, or a, a shootout, doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. uh, that is not a team that looks as rested as they need to be. You're bang on about their goaltender. Uh, and Florida, on the other hand, is a team to me, and I said this trade deadline, I really like this team. This is a team that is really, really – strong in all positions uh you know it will it would always go down to goaltending though when you look at uh if those two teams were to meet uh, you know vasilevsky is the the cream of the crop right now right he's there's there's him and then there's the rest of the league a little bit like maybe this is a bit of an exaggeration but a little bit like when dominic hoshik was in the game right here there's right. dominic and then there's everybody else uh and uh and so you look at those two teams, but I, I like the Panthers. I really like them top to bottom. Kelly, in the West, um, we just had a, a, a the Avalanche and Oilers. They look like an exciting matchup. The Avalanche are exciting no matter who they yeah. play. They're the class of the West, but I don't think they're untouchable. Um, can anybody knock them off in your mind? Yes, yes, they are not untouchable. I agree with you. Um, they are, they're terrific. Uh, Kale McCarr is one of my oh. favorite players that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, then you have, of course, their talent up front and, and, uh, not only McKinnon, but Rantanen is Ooh. unbelievable. And, and I don't know if the average person recognizes what he does, uh, in all situations. He's just such a good player. Um, yeah. And I, I just love their depth. Uh, who knew Kadri had this in him? Now, mm -hmm. hopefully he's back at, at some point. Same with uh, Landis Cog. But uh, their goaltender, I know there are questions uh, early on that it took him at about two months to adjust to the change. Uh, but he's been, uh, you could easily argue he's been one of the top goaltenders in the league the last three months, maybe longer. So, but I still say that there, there are questions with them. And until you do it, that's the way it's always going to be. No pressure on them either, huh? Oh, that's that's the thing, right? Yeah. Ton pressure, and they know it, right? Yeah. Like that, that you know, they speak of it. And Nathan McKinnon is a guy that he he speaks from the heart, and uh, he understands that. He understands the pressure that that organization has, and in today's game, you, you don't have a, a big window. Leon Drysital, uh, it's so hard here in Edmonton because. You got 97, who's also pretty solid. 
And mm-hmm. he's he just seems to every game out in and game out seems to be able to bring it in a quiet manner. But is, do you think he fully is he getting the attention around the league that he should be getting, or do you think people are just always saying, "Well, he's with Connor." I keep hearing that so often oh, wow. that he's feasting off of Connor McDavid, and I'm going, well, "I get a chance to watch him every game, and there are games where he <laughs> leads Connor." He does. Uh, what is it? it was the uh, Colorado game, in fact, uh, and Kevin Bieksa showed some clips mm-hmm. where uh, I said I thought Colorado and Colorado had played in Winnipeg the night before. But Colorado looked the fresher of the two teams between uh, them and the Oilers. Right. And it was uh, Dreisaitl that started to throw some big checks around the eight minute mark, 10 minute mark. And that turned the momentum around. And then all of a sudden it was the Oilers that looked like the better of the two teams, but Dreisaitl does uh, things differently than McDavid, of course. And uh, by the way, you know, that sharp angle shot where Leon scores a lot of his goals. Yeah. Never in the history of the game. Have we seen somebody more accurate than Dreisaitl from uh, just off the goal line? I'm shocked by some of the uh, sharp angle shots that he's able to convert. And, and it's not as though he has time to set the puck up, but it's usually that quick wrister, that one timer that I just have no idea how often he must've practiced that shot from that angle uh, to, to be able to convert. Now on occasion, we see other guys, but, uh, I'm just blown away by his accuracy. Kelly, I've got a, I've got to lob this one your way before we go, uh, because everybody talks about Uh it. Um, the heart trophy. Oh yeah. Now for me, um, I mean, I used to have a vote. I don't have one anymore, but I see legit three or four guys who could win it and you don't have to stretch your argument very far to make a really good case. I think two of them are here in Edmonton, but I also think, I don't think you can ignore uh, Austin Matthews. I don't think you can ignore Jonathan Huberdeau, who's sort of the the quiet man in that bunch because it's, this is a real bust out season for him. And, and Brins brought up a guy who I don't know if he's going to win it, but Johnny Goudreau in Calgary has had a hell of a, I I know it's a contract year, but you can't hold that against the guy, right? Who do you like? I'm going to narrow it down further. I agree with every single name that you've mentioned, Robin, but I'm going to narrow it down just to two. Uh, And this is easily uh, an argument that anybody could make that uh, I'm wrong, but I'm going to say it's between McDavid and Austin Matthews. Those are the two guys to me that have uh, separated themselves from a, a really elite group of players that are having outstanding seasons, but just what they do towards or for their organizations that uh, McDavid continues to do it year after year after year uh, with high expectations. And it seems that the pressure just never seems to get to him. Uh, and by the way, the expectations of, uh, being the face of the organization, which very few players have to deal with on a regular basis, uh, and Austin Matthews, his overall game, how that has just changed. That that is just, we, we have been on track watching that for the last three years or so when I, I I'm on record again, saying about three years ago before the pandemic that there are elements. Now I'm not suggesting he's as good as Patrice Bergeron, but there are elements of his game that are getting closer to that. 
uh, in particular his defensive style of play and also how he has recognized how to use that big body. I don't know if you guys have run into him recently uh, in person, but Austin Matthew, yes, he's a big man, right? And particular, his legs, like he kind of reminds me of uh, Paul Coffey mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Paul had those big legs, right? Big, powerful legs. And and that is one of the reasons why he's such a beautiful, graceful skater. Uh, and Austin Matthews, same thing. He's got big, big thighs and and he uses that size really well. I, I don't think he recognized early in his career how to position his body uh, defensively to knock the p- player off the puck. But now he certainly does. And and that's you know something that he has used to his advantage. And, and for those reasons, I, I think that he has put himself in that category for the heart. Playoff grind is about to start. And as we wrap things up with you, uh, it's different for players, obviously, but broadcasters go through a a grind through the playoff run. Are you ready to go? Like, I don't think we've ever talked about how you mentally prep yourself to get, you know, get ready as a broadcaster. You know, we always talked about how solid you were as a player, but what do you do to get ready for the playoffs as a broadcaster? Well, you're so right, Brent. It's a long grind for, uh, Uh, people in the industry that cover the sport and uh, I'm not alone or many others, but as an example on social media, a number of years ago, I was checking into the hotel in downtown Toronto and uh, I stayed there every single weekend, of course, but heading into the playoffs and I check in and the young lady says, hello, Mr. Rudy, welcome back. I see she looks down at her computer screen and she looks down and there's a, a pause. There's a hesitation. Then she goes, I see you're checking in for, 67 nights yeah and i, and I go yep yep and then, and and to to add to that that would that's only for the first three rounds that doesn't include the finals and so uh the point i'm making not to look for sympathy from anybody but uh, mentally it is a grind because uh you have to prepare uh to put in long hours it's not hard work like my old job where physically it was demanding it is hard mentally and to make sure that you do the things uh, that you need to do to prepare so that it's, it's a, a little bit of an easier grind. So this year, I've actually taken an important step in my life. I'm becoming, uh, you know, an, I'm an older guy and I have to make sure I take care of myself. And so I have three games this week, uh, th- three Flames regional games. And next week, I was also supposed to have three uh, road games. Uh, I was supposed to travel with the team to uh, Nashville, Minnesota and Winnipeg, uh, Winnipeg on a Friday, I was going to come home Saturday and leave again for the, the eight week grind or whatever it may be this year, uh, on Sunday. And I asked to have next week off. And, uh, fortunately my bosses at Sportsnet agreed that, uh, I need the time off. And so that's what I've done for myself so that I, I can prepare, uh, Bryn and Robin for that long grind that I'm about to endure. Let's talk about the mental part of it because you've been an advocacy sure. uh, of mental health and that kind of thing. Just hearing the fact that you're checking in for 67 days away from the family, that would probably pull me down a notch or two just at the, at the hotel lobby. Yeah. Uh, how are you finding ways of, uh, of kind of, uh, I guess, lessening yep. the load a little bit? I've talked to my wife about this to make sure that I stay on top of it. Right. Right. And so I'm going to have to uh, get out and go for uh, maybe a daily walk because that's important for me to right. get some fresh air and clear my, 
brain and not just sit in my hotel room and have the thoughts go round and round and round and make sure that I take care of that. Because once you start going down that road where you get in that trap where your brain takes you away from uh, your happy place, as Caitlin calls it for me, uh, and also I'm journaling. So journaling is important for me to sort of uh, look at, uh, I, I, I look at when I'm throughout the day, what is negative and what is positive. And I jot those thoughts down and I, I try to stay on top of it that those thoughts uh, on the positive side of the page outweigh the negative. How's that for That's sharing great. honest, right? Yeah. Now, Tell me, and I remember rousing you about this on Twitter the first couple times I saw it. <laughs> Tell me you're going to keep taking pictures of these some of these great meals you have. That strikes me as a great distraction. It is, and you're right. And uh, and that rousing was perfect, and uh, I loved it, Robin, because I I meant I, I knew you meant it in the most positive of ways. That that's going to be a hard pro a thing to replicate during the playoffs because, as you know, uh, in particular for the first two rounds, we have an early game and a late game every single night. So there are no dinners. We we eat at the studio, and so I won't have an opportunity unless it's maybe in the second round where we start to have some teams eliminated early where I, I might have an early game and then I'll go for a late dinner and then I, I could potentially do it. But most likely it won't happen for, I'm just trying to do the math here, most likely won't happen for four weeks or five weeks or six weeks until I can have one of those really cool dinners uh, and also share a glass or two of wine and then post it. But I do love the feedback I get from those pictures and people uh, say they miss it all the time. And, and once, uh, once I, you know, maybe next year I can get back into that habit because it it does bring a smile on my face. Also, when I sit back after I post the pictures and I read the comments and uh, it, it really does uh, put me in a happy place. So what's your go to then if, you, if you've got so little time between those games? What's your go to snack? Oh, well, pizza guy or what? Oh, we do have pizza in the studio often. Uh, I like a good bag of chips. How do you like that? Uh, that, yeah, that works. Chips has always been my go-to, and and I hate to admit it, but when Donna goes to bed at night and I'm a night owl and I sit there and in my big comfy chair and I have a glass of red wine, I look over to my left and I see that that pantry door, and, uh, <laughs> and there's oh, yeah. that bag of chips in there. Uh, that's that does it for me. And then you're able to work it off because that's important too, right? On occasion, I, I the pandemic did hit me. I mean, I put on a few pounds like a lot of other people, but uh, I've sort of promised myself that this summer I'm going to start to uh, get a little bit uh, fitter again and uh, start walking. And I always go, I, I, that's my go-to. I, I just love the walking part of it. And by the way, I, when I'm in a good place, my walks are uh, pretty hardy. They're, I don't mean I go for a 20-minute walk. I like to go for the two-hour walk, maybe sometimes three-hour walk, and uh, that's really good for me. Well, I haven't popped a button recently uh, no, off of I sports I, coat, so. I, I make sure that Deb Berman, our uh, stylist in Toronto, sends me the uh, the sport jackets that fit properly now. <laughs> Uh, were you shocked at how viral that thing went? Because it was quite funny. Where it, well, you, well, you guys helped it out a little bit because you guys even had it on a clock on a on a on a radar yeah. clock. So uh, you guys kind of well, you guys kind of set yourself up on that one. Well, the behind the scenes story is actually funner, funnier. Okay. The the button popping is somewhat humorous, but if you know the behind the scenes, 
That is actually really funny because that happened probably 20 or 30 seconds before we went on air. And so I had no idea that they were recording that in the production truck. But the reason why, I mean, Scott Lennox was our producer that night. The reason why it was kind of important he showed that was because uh, I, I couldn't stop laughing, right? And so I'm laughing a lot for 20, 25 seconds before we go to air. But if you were a Calgary Flames fan that night and you would have uh, watched Rick Ball and I go on camera and I can't stop laughing, you would have been furious with us because I think the Flames were getting hammered that night, something like 6-1 after <laughs> yeah. two periods. And so you would have thought, what's so, what's so funny about this intermission that Kelly can't stop laughing when the team looks horrible? And so, and then you probably remember when we came on, I just... Rick threw me a really easy question. I just, I hadn't, I couldn't answer. I just, I was beside myself. Uh, and so the producer ran it and then went viral. I had no idea it was going to go viral like that, but we had good fun with it anyways. As, as, as long as Daryl didn't want to ask you that question. <laughs> oh, right. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That hey. would not have been good if Daryl would have seen that. Uh, and and the way I, I thought that intermission was so funny, that would not have gone over well. And, and you, you, you know, to be honest and to uh, really go down that road, Robin, the organization I'm sure would have been furious with me, right? Like I'm, I'm doing the flames game that broadcast and how dare I be laughing uh, through that intermission. So you're right. <laughs> Before you go. And I, and I, it's just the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we know anything can happen. But who do you like in the final right now? If, if you, you know, going in, knowing that there could be upsets. Yeah. Is it Colorado, Florida, like everybody thinks? Is that the easy that, way? That is. I'm not just taking that as the obvious choice or the easy answer because you brought it up. But that's who I'm sort of leaning towards right now. Now, a lot can happen. Yeah. We know that uh, injuries uh, in the next two weeks depending on how that plays out and who comes back from injuries and that, but those are the two teams I'm leaning towards. You got a game to do and thank you for this. Uh, I, when we I booked you, I completely forgot it was a game day for you. So, uh, so As I mentioned to you before uh, for you guys, I make an exception on game day and I love it. I love you guys. It's awesome. Thanks very much. Always great seeing you. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you during the summer. We try not to, we only try to bug you a couple times a year. So thanks <laughs> okay. for this. Thanks very much, Kelly. You got it. Thanks, Brent and Robin. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. So here we are. It's the spring. And hey, look who's in the studio. Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. How you doing? I'm well. How are you, Brent? Great. It's nice to have you in here. The spring is here. And things are getting busy? Spring has sprung and the market is on fire, Bryn. Absolutely incredible. For single family houses anyway in R Edmonton. Really? And it's just kind of flipped the switch, huh? I've never seen an increase in values this much in the last 30 days. Absolutely incredible. Edmonton's uh, growth for the single family market. And and I, I can't put a pinpoint on why, but it's pretty awesome if you own a house in Edmonton. Now with the economy the way it is, and it's just kind of crazy right now with everything that's going on in the world, how is that affecting us? That's a great question. Um, do you want some time to think about I it? I do. Yeah, I, I don't know if... if 
you know, it's not like Edmonton's completely insulated from everything, but yeah. you know, when we, when, if we're talking about the Russian war, for example, and, and the yeah. price of oil, that's nothing but a good thing for all of Alberta. So that's going to drive the unfortunate prices. positive of that's a right. horrible negative. It, of, of course, uh, every time you pay more at the gas pump, it's, it's brutal as a family, but pretty good for the economy. Yeah. So how do people get, I know, how do people get involved? If they're thinking about it, now's the time to move, right? Well, definitely. If you're thinking about selling, I can't think of a better time to give us a call. We're at 780-464-0075. And either myself or one of my team members would be happy to meet with you to talk about the sale of your property. What about getting an evaluation done on their house if they're looking at selling? Yeah, that's where we'll start. Completely complimentary. No obligation. And we'll come, we'll sit down, we'll talk about the value, we'll show what's going on in the market. And we'll even give you, the seller, some tips on how to get the most out of their house. Perfect. So once again, how do people get a hold of you? 780-464-0075 or on the web, macintoshgroup.ca. And here you are in the sports thing. It's yeah. nice to have you here. Well, I, I, I love watching you guys do the sports show. Excellent. Thanks. Well, there you go. Hey, that's episode 103. Kelly Rudy, great guest, as always. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we go too much further as we wrap this baby up, I'm starting to sense, and I know it's the Stanley Cup playoffs and anything can happen, but I'm starting to sense we might actually see a Battle of Alberta in this playoff year. And as I've had to say to the men around our household who are younger than 26, <laughs> you think you've seen the Battle of Alberta? You have never seen the Battle of Alberta because it only really comes out of playoff time. When it's all on the line, I said, you won't get any sleep. You'll toss. You'll turn all night. You'll worry about games on those off days. You'll worry about line changes day and night. There's an emotional thing about the playoffs that is not that cannot be replicated during the regular season. Those regular season games are fun and tense. But there's something special about the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Battle of Alberta during those playoffs. Oh, absolutely. And we say, I, I remember writing the beat, you know, um, when the Battle of Alberta was a distant memory. It was barely even a, a skirmish, let alone a battle, because neither one or both teams would weren't very good. And you need to get into that uh intensity of the postseason before you want to start talking about this matchup. And I tell you what, both these teams are really good and both these teams go at each other. And the interesting thing for me, Bryn, is this, and and I've been wrong before I'll be wrong again. I like the Oilers chances against just about everybody that they could play except Calgary. Something of well, there was that last that last debacle. However, I think that usually the the two Alberta teams are able to shake off those kind of games. That that happens, but yeah, you know, if you saw the if you see the high octane, let's have a track meet against uh, a Colorado. I don't mind the Oilers in that. I don't mind the Oilers against L.A. I don't mind the Oilers against anybody else you care to name. But if Daryl gets his guys playing big, yeah, big, but. With look at the years, and we talked about it with Kelly that little Johnny Goudreau are having, uh, that Waltz boy is having. Uh, they have skill. They there. It's not just well, we're going to turn it into an alley fight, and we're better at alley fights than you are because virtually every team the Oilers could play are tougher than they are. Um, 
they have they still have guys who can put it in the net. So if you want to line up and go chest to chest, they can do it that way. And they also have not skill that matches the top end of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but that's a lot closer than it has been in a lot of years. I think they're a little deeper, all four lines. That's just how I see Calgary. The other thing, I got to say this too. Since that game between the Flames and the Oilers, you know who I think has played really well? Darnell Nurse. Mm -hmm. I was watching very carefully in the game against Las Vegas last Saturday. And he now seems like he's on the right side of the player or the right side of the puck on almost every situation. It's like he's recognized, I don't have to do the Paul Coffey thing and rush end-to-end anymore. I'm required to make sure that I play it in my own end first. And I've really seen, that's the biggest thing that I've noticed with uh, Darnell since that game. And everybody was bad in that one. Calgary Flames played great too. So anyway, hope I hope we see it. It would be a lot of fun. And I think the time has come be really galvanizing for the entire province to see Calgary and Edmonton meet up in the playoffs. However, they've got to get through the first round first. Hey, Robin, before we go, let's tell everybody uh, about uh, a few things. And that is you can check us out on Twitter. The handle is really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. Love the fact that more and more guys are, uh, are following us and sending us the odd message. Love it. Also, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc., And we're also on YouTube as well. Uh, I'm back after uh, a little time in Kananaskis. Last week, I'm back in my studio here at Road 55 in downtown Edmonton, and you're at the Lucky Sam studio in southwest Edmonton. So this has been great. Anything else? I think Kelly kind of summed everything up beautifully. Is there anything we're missing? Well, just one thing uh, from our point of view, Brennan, you usually take care of this, and I'm happy with you handling it. Um, We're wanting to grow this thing. uh, And to the people who download us and and listen and enjoy what we do, you know, we're we're looking at some possibilities, and uh, we'll leave it at that for now. But if you'd like to be a part of it in terms of sponsorship, uh, that's what makes things makes things go and that's what makes things grow uh keep us in mind whether it's uh you want to you want to get a hold of us uh at the website or on the twitter account uh through Bryn or through me directly uh that's what we're here for hey Bryn, we're at 103 episodes man we I had know. a little we had the little interruption we're back uh all is good and all is going to stay good my friend thank you yeah and uh Let's uh, let's keep it going and let's uh, let's uh, get it growing. Don't forget too. In the show notes, you have our phone numbers. You can reach us, and you also have uh, email addresses and that kind of stuff. Hey, that's it for today, Robin. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the week. I sure will. Storm in the castle. Road 55.